this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is, is really interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, we looked early on last week uh, in, in it that, you know, Paul is, is like he's doing a lot in 1 Timothy. He's, he's instructing Timothy to be a shepherd, right, to, to be the overseer. And he starts off in chapter 5 and verse 1, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brother, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. And then he, he talks about the elders, and we covered kind of the second half of the chapter associated really kind of with verse 1 and re, not rebuking an elder. So, so here we are, we're going to kind of finish um, the, the, um, the, the middle, the beginning middle part of, of this chapter. So from a structure standpoint, it gets a little, a little wonky and I didn't want the, the handouts to go out quite yet because I wanted us to focus on the scripture. They are in fact, um, the scripture is kind of divided into, um, into some themes. And this first part I am going to tell you is clunky. I am going to admit up front this first part is a little clunky, but uh, it is important that we get through it. Now, what we see is that there are categories of widows, and I have put on here both an, a, 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 an alphabet and some color coding to try to break this. Do we need more? I, I might have just been uh, not discerning in the way I divided the pages. Um, <laughs> There are widows indeed that he talks about. There are widows with kids or with family that can support them. There are widows who live for pleasure. And then there are younger widows, okay? And these four categories are kind of what we're gonna break down in this first half of 1 Timothy chapter five. And it's important that we kind of wrap that up because honestly, if, if this was a pastoral prep course, if one of you was considering or we brought in guys from the different part of the churches and we sat them in this class and said, I'm going to teach you how to administrate over widows, this passage makes a lot of sense. But for those of us who don't have the responsibility of administrating a ministry to widows, like what, does, what can we get from this, right? All scripture is profitable. Right? And all scripture can, can be of benefit to every believer, irrespective of, of where they're at. So even though you don't have a scriptural or spiritual responsibility to oversee a, a ministry to widows, there are some things that we can glean from this. And, and so I'm excited from that, from that perspective. So what we're going to do on the back of your page is this passage with some lines uh, broken down by verse with some lines in front of each of the verses, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm just going to give you an opportunity to see, this is verse 3, the way it, it does. This first verse, widow, honor widows that are widows indeed, is tied to A. Widows indeed, that one was pretty easy, right? So that would be an A in the ahead of verse 3, Okay. But notice verse 4, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn uh, first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God. Well, that's a widow with kids. So you would write a B in front of verse 4, okay? 5, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. 
Well, we're talking about widows and dean again. That would be, uh, in front of verse 5, would be an A. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Well, that would be C. Are you tracking me? Is this making sense? All right. And these things give charge that they may be blameless. You know, you could honestly put all of it. You could put A, B, C, and D in that because really Paul is saying to Timothy, this applies. Teach this, right? Or you could skip it either way. But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the face, the, the face or the faith, and is worse than an infidel. This, although this verse, I mean, Sam used it this morning. We apply it. Hey, if you men, you got to provide for your family. That is that is doctrinally, practically sound. But within this context of widows, he's actually talking. He's admonishing. Uh, Timothy to say, hey, if there's somebody that has a widow, they need to take care of them. So like if my mom was widowed, it would be my responsibility, me and my brothers, I have two brothers, it would be our responsibility to care for the widow before the church was church's responsibility. Okay? Again, he's he's teaching Timothy how to structure this ministry. Okay? So that would apply to widows with kids. You guys still with me? Mm-hmm. Trying to break this down, and I know it's uh, not necessarily the, the most convenient way to do it. But verse 9, Let not a widow be taken in number under threescore years or sixty years old. So this is a younger widow. And then you could argue that this, is, that this yellow is maybe D and A combined. Again, this, there's no test here. You don't have to turn this back in. This is just for, for your reference. But having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she had been, if she brought up children, lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work, that's a widow indeed. Okay? That's a widow who's been faithful doing what she needs to do. Again, you could put A and D in there if you want. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. Again, D, it's a younger widow. Okay? And then, I think, oh, and, and with all, verse 13, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Verse 14, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, right? And and continuing the thought in verse 15, so D would be the... 13, 14, and 15. If any man or woman that believeth have widows in their family, let them relieve them. Same concept that we talked about. And let not the church be, church be charged. Right? So the family needs to start that ministry process that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So verse 16 would arguably be, arguably be both B and A. Now, the reason I did this is because you can, in fact, see themes in this passage. I looked at it 15 ways to Sunday, and I tried to understand why Paul addressed it the way he did. I didn't see it. I didn't see a structure. I didn't see where he was doing this, and then he went back. It went in one order and reverse. I, I couldn't figure it out. I'm not sure that it exists. Maybe it exists. And I was never good at Rubik's Cubes. Maybe you were, and you figured it out. I would love to hear it if, if you did. And maybe it's, um, uh, I, I don't know, what, whatever it is, it's out there. But I broke it down this way because that's the way I had to kind of break it down. There are these four types of widows, and there are principles that we can learn from these widows. 
there for this administration of widows, but really the lessons that we can learn from the situations that these widows find themselves in. <coughs> these are the principles. They are the main points on your handout. We will revisit them. They will be the titles up at the top of the slide. So if you don't get the words, that's okay. I'm not even sure I put them on specifically on your uh, page as a bullet. But we're going to see that a testimony of faithfulness is important. The church is going to take care of widows who have been faithful. It's not going to take care of pe just everyone. It's going to take care of widows that have been faithful. The family is the first line of defense in time of need. Right? We've touched on that a couple times. That we need The widows need to... And then we also need to live for purpose, not for pleasure. And then that tragedy is not an excuse for laziness. Okay? Tragedy is not an excuse for laziness. And that, you know, I, I was really impressed, uh, really on all these, for, for very varying reasons. But, so let's, let's just continue to, you know, jump, jump on into the sub-points here. So testimony of faithfulness is important. There's a couple of points. You're going to reap what you sow, right? It's a principle out of the book of Galatians. But notice in Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, in verse 12, The Lord re recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Right? This reference to Ruth, this reference is Ruth was faithful during her widowhood, Right? Widowhood? Is that the right word? Not widowship. That didn't sound right. Widowhood, right? Is that right? Okay, I wasn't getting the validation from y'all that I needed. <laughs> from her, wid her widowhood, that in her widowhood state, she remained faithful. She followed Naomi back, right? She remained faithful in serving God and Naomi. And God blesses her. So she's going to reap what she sows. Okay? Look at specifically in Luke chapter 2. Uh, 36 through 38. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, um, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. Like multiple times longer being a widow than she was married. But look at this. She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, in com uh, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. Or Jerusalem, excuse me. All them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So this is a woman who, who actually goes against the grain of what Paul is talking about in, in 1 Timothy. Just transparent moment. Because even though she was a widow in her young age, she actually fights against all those challenges of being idle, of being lazy, of needing to remarry. But what she do? She gives herself. She decides that I'm going to reap what I sow. So she sows spiritual blessings, right? So she, so widows are this really good example of reaping what you sow, okay? The second is this investment in the right things. So prior to them ever being a widow, Right? That's part of what Paul's talking about. As they were growing up, as they were had their families, what were they doing? In the time of no need, 
were they, I don't want to say preparing for the time of need, but investing and not just heaping to themselves, but were they investing so that when the time of need came, others could invest back in them. And that's a huge lesson. It's a les lesson that I had to learn many years ago. And it's a lesson that I try to teach my, my children. Uh, I'm not sure how successful I'm being at it, but like, okay, right now the sky is not falling, but be preparing yourself, not for when the sky falls, but for when that thing happens. Like, like and, and it's probably a horrible example, but brushing your teeth before church doesn't need to happen two seconds before we need to leave church. Like, we shouldn't be having the discussion about brushing your teeth as we're going out the door. Like, you knew church was coming. Like, you knew we were actually going to get in a car and leave this place. Think about it ahead of time. Invest time ahead of the need. And that's what these widows have done. They've invested in other people's lives over time. And when the tragedy hits them, they can, in fact, reap some of that because they have invested in the right things. But notice Matthew 6, right? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth, rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Well, how do you do that? How do you invest in eternity while we're still here? Well, there, there's a, a couple of different ways, but Jesus was very clear on how to do this. Then shall the king say unto them on his, uh, on his right hand, remember he's separating the wheat from the chaff and the sheep from the goats, come ye the blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are the folks on his right hand. For I was a hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. But then the righteous shall answer, uh, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, uh, saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink, or when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw th uh, we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it to me, unto me. Now say that ten times best. No. <laughs> I am not going to repeat it. Was that not fast enough? I went, that's like the beetle battle tweedle tongue. Sorry, so. I just have a quick question. Yes. So basically... God provides all that we need so we have time to prepare. Like we don't need Yeah, to I mean that, that that's I a mean, reasonable conclusion. That's a reasonable conclusion that really and maybe not all that you need, you know, like you not you're not necessarily going to turn to your pantry and have all the food you need, right. but he might prepare you in a way to go get work yeah. to 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 provide that or whatever. Like he doesn't leave his children without. But how do you invest spiritually? Some cases by investing physically. And that's what these widows have done, or at least some of these widows have done, in their lives prior to the point of tragedy, they've already proven out their character. Like, before the tragedy hits, that's the time for you to be investing. I mean, literally, if you look at an investment, an investment is you're putting away excess or or uh, disciplined amount of money today. I'm talking about a financial investment. You're putting them out, you're, you're, you're not taking money you need to live. 
and investing it, right? You're taking some excess and you're investing it. Whether it's like your 401k at work or whether it's just a savings account, you're taking what you don't need today and you're setting it aside so that when there comes a day where you do need it, you can draw from it. I mean, that's what um, what Solomon teaches the ant to do, right? The ant, or no, I said, teaches us to consider in the ant. He doesn't teach the ant to do that. It was like this morning, Sam said that, that Adam took a bite out of his wife, I think, or yeah, ate his wife, but he was trying to say the, the fruit that the, so I reached over and bit Michelle's hand. So, because <laughs> I'm spiritual and I want to follow what my pastor says. So, even if it's not the right thing. Um, that all of this is a way to invest before before the thing comes due. Because what you do in an investment is subsequently as you reach into that investment and pull it out when you subsequently don't have it coming in but you need it. Right? I mean it's not it's it's a simple concept. It, that's uh, so we talk about it even in our relationship. We we refer to a love tank. That, and I think, did Sam and Cheryl share that with us in our premier? I meant to ask you before. So, no, that wasn't the five love languages. I don't think so. I think it was somebody else. But we're going to agree to disagree, sister. <laughs> so, but you have this tank, and you you need to be investing in the love tank. Like, if, like we're not arguing, but that doesn't mean I ignore her. Like, I can invest in our relationship, and I can put love into the tank and then when things get stressful when things get difficult we may need to draw out of that tank a little bit right i'm i'm fixing to go to denver for a few days we're not going to be together well there's plenty of love in the love tank i know it's a, it seems a little stupid saying it out loud but <laughs> there's enough love in the love tank that we can draw out for our relationship right that's what these widows did during when things were okay, when their husbands were alive, when the tragedy had not struck, they were investing. They were investing in people. Okay? Now, our second point. Family is the first line of defense in times of need. Now, this is a graphic. Surprise, surprise. Graphic. <laughs> Notice, okay, so we're going to actually jump down to our second verse here for just a second. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Yet in 1 Timothy, we were told if anybody had family, children, or they of their own family. So if this box represents all men, kind of everyone, we need to invest in the household of, sorry, this wasn't supposed to be blank, faith, household <laughs> of faith. This would say family, so I apologize for that. So family and household of faith. So where I'm going to invest first, this is a prioritization chart, where I'm going to invest first are my blood family that are of the household of faith. I'm going to start there, then I'm going to go out from there, and I mean invest in times of need, in times of tragedy, in times of turmoil, in times of significant issue, right? Then I'm going to invest in the household of faith the people in this body and this group of believers where God has placed my wife and I, and I'm going to invest in my family, my physical family. So my dad, if he has issues, my brothers, if they have issues, cousins, nieces, nephews, they are here, a family, right? So I'm going to start with my most immediate need, 
or my most immediate family in their time of need, and I'm going to work my way out, okay, as I can. So the good news is we can invest in each other here in the household of faith, and we can invest in family, right? Notice in Isaiah 58, verse 7, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry that thou mayest bring the poor that are, ca uh, that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hidest not thy thyself from thine own flesh. There's a principle in Scripture that God put you in your family to potentially help take care of them in the time of need. Like, he's omnipotent. He can see these things, right? So he puts you in your family to be a blessing to them. Uh, we've already talked about Galatians 6 and John and 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother... Okay, dual application, physical family, spiritual family. See, his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How doeth the love of God in him? Like, how is it that you have stuff, and your brother, family or household of faith family, has need, and you're going to hold back your hand? Like, that doesn't even make sense, according to, to John, as he's writing this letter. Like, how can the love of God dwell within him? on him. Okay, so we've seen that there's times of investing, and we've seen that family is the first line of defense, but let's look at this next, that we need to live for purpose, not pleasure. We need to live for purpose, not pleasure. And first is this concept of respect for the deceased. Now bear with me because this may not connect, and I want to make sure it connects because I think it's an important concept. Respect for the deceased. In 1 Corinthians 7.39, the wife is bound by the law as long as, she, as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead or deceased, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Only in the Lord. Like, she needs to decide, make decisions to do the things that she needs to do from a marriage relationship perspective. That's okay in the Lord, right? But she can't do that while he's alive, only after he is deceased. Hopefully not at her hand. Um, I was just making sure you all pay attention. Because if it was at her hand, then we got other issues. But notice, so, so there's this respect for the deceased that that was for a period of time. That was for the season of life when the husband was alive. Notice in Isaiah 22, 12, 13. In that day did the Lord of God, or the Lord God of hosts, call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sack. Why did somebody laugh? <laughs> there was laughing. I heard it. Uh, and baldness and girding uh, and degirding with sackcloth and behold joy and gladness slaying oxen and killing sheep eating flesh and drinking wine say and let us drink eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die well wait a second the Lord called you to weeping and to mourning so there is an appropriateness associated with the loss in the widow, there needs to be respect for the deceased. There needs to be, yes, there's freedom. Like, there's freedom to now marry again. But there needs to be respect for the deceased. And you say, well, what, Mitch, what does this have to do with living for purpose, not for pleasure? 
it's because God clearly allowed this situation in, in this widow's life, in this example that we're talking about, right? Whoever that person is, God allowed that situation. So maybe he was freeing the widow up to be able to serve the Lord in a different way, right? But we need to have respect for the history, respect for the relationship, because this freedom shouldn't create this joy, gladness, slaying oxen, sheep, woohoo, the, the old man's dead. Like that's not, that's not proper. That's not the way it works. The way it works is weeping and mourning. After that, there will be some freedom that this, that this widow is going to have, right? By definition, she is no longer bound to her husband. He is passed away. She has opportunity to make her own decisions. I know when my mom was alive, her and my dad, like every, I mean, they just ate out all the time. And it was always the discussion of who was going to, you know, where are we going to go eat, right? Where are we going to go eat? Now she's dead. You know what? My dad decides where he wants to eat every single night on his own. And he's not going hungry, <clears throat> right? There is some freedom there. He doesn't have to to, um, I just, I guess I'll say worry about her concerns with respect to this horrible, trite little example of dinner. But you, I think you're tracking me that there is a freedom that exists after the husband is deceased. But that freedom should create a godly purpose. 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, that he may please the Lord. That actually applies whether pre-married, pre-marriage, or after. Like when someone is unmarried, they have the opportunity to be singularly focused on the Lord. They no longer have to worry about their spouse, even though that may have been a completely godly relationship. God ordained, God blessed, etc. God has removed that person in this scenario, this widow scenario. And now as a result, this widow has the opportunity to care for the things that belong to the Lord. In Luke uh, 12, 19 through 21, I will say unto my soul, soul, Thou hast uh, much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat and drink, uh, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thou soul shall be required of thee. Then whose th- uh, shall those things be, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now that's not a, a guarantee that if you lay up treasure for yourself that you are not rich toward God. You can do a reasonable amount of preparation for the emergency fund. You can save for a retirement when you might not otherwise be able to physically work and draw off of those retire- those uh, savings for retirement. But this purpose, this point is that as a result of laying those things up, if, if like... So we got a we got a, 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 a what's the word? life insurance policy on me a few years back, and I started sleeping with one eye open because I wanted to make sure Michelle wasn't going to kill me because she could get money, right? If I were to die 
today, she would receive dollars from the life insurance. I think there's some even some money from my business, from my the company I work for as a benefit kind of thing. So I still, you know, I kind of keep an eye on her when she's chopping onions in the in the kitchen. She says she's crying because of the onions, but I think she's internally torn on whether she's actually going to kill me or not. Um, <laughs> Just because there are dollars laid up potentially at my demise does not give her the right to rely on those. Like she can't, she, she needs to want me more than those dollars. She needs to want me in partnership and ministry in a loving relationship. Look at verse uh, James chapter five verses one through five. Go ye, uh, go to now ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Like you've lived as if you're always going to have these things, and that is what's going to produce this this. Um, this tendency to uh, specifically what was uh, what was called out in in verse uh, six, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Like literally, if the widow says, "Hey, my husband had money in the bank. My I can I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about anything. I've got a life insurance policy. I I, I don't have to worry about. I don't even have to go to church anymore." Well, now she's moved into living in pleasure, and living in pleasure is might as well be dead. So the principle here is that if you don't don't live for the things of this world, live for the things of the Lord. You'll, there will come a time when you'll give an account for the blessings that have been bestowed upon you. So if if you come across a situation where you can. You can put it into neutral. Be very careful because you're living for for pleasure. I, I remember I was I was going through a few. This was a few years ago, but I was uh, going through a financial course that we had at our church, and it was not a, a Dave Ramsey in particular. I think the guy that taught it was uh, most likely influenced and had some of the same principles. But he said it was interesting. You can save for retirement, but there should be no spiritual retirement. Like there should not be a point at which you get old enough in the church where you're like, well, I'm I'm retired. What do you? I'm retired. You don't understand. I'm I'm retired. No, that's not how it works. People still need to be discipled. People still need to be cared for. People still need to be instructed. Elder women and elder men are supposed to instruct the younger on how to. Like you have an amazing amount of perspective and experience. Don't just keep that in. While you could have a retirement fund and be retired from working, don't be retired from service for the Lord. That's just like being dead, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I, I, according to scripture, if you're just living for pleasure, you might as well be dead. And I hate to put it so bluntly. This last point, tragedy is not an excuse for laziness. There is provision whether that provision is through a new husband, potentially, right? Some of the younger widows are supposed to remarry. Maybe that provision is through family, through the kids that we've already talked about, right? Maybe they can help you, give you a place to stay, help pay your rent, whatever the case may be. Just because there's provision, you still have to work for it. Now, work is 
different in every situation. But notice what um, what Ruth had to deal with. Um, but we're not looking in Ruth. We're looking at the law that came and produced the situation in, in Ruth, uh, in, in the book of Ruth. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 21. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheath in the field... So you're, you're, you're baling up your, your hay and you've accidentally left a bale of, 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 of a blessing uh, in the field. Don't go back and get it. The Lord caused you, caused you to forget that. It shall be for the stranger, look at this, for the fatherless and for the widow. People that are in it having a time of need. Don't don't hold back. Don't be the stingy guy that loops the horses back around and says, "Oh, I forgot this sheaf. It's mine." No, leave it for him. Continuing, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the bows again. So when you're shaking the olive tree, when you're getting the the blessings and you've walked away from it, don't go back to it. Things that continue to grow, anything that didn't come out, you didn't capture, it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest, gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in every one of those situations, it was still in the field, it was still on the tree, or it was still on the vine. So the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow still had to go get it. Now, it's not the same kind of work. It's clearly different. They're only gathering typically for themselves, or maybe if they have kids or something. Uh, or in Ruth, Ruth's case, she was gathering for herself and her mother-in-law. So it's not the same as like going out and work and work. Or work working but it, there is effort like like nobody needs to just be giving you a bunch of grapes and a bunch of sheaves and a bunch of uh, uh, olives right like you got it there there has to be some incentive because and notice what happens back in first Timothy in chapter in five and but look in verse uh, Verse 13, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. If, the, if this younger uh, widow doesn't have purpose, doesn't have, like, she's going to end up being idle. And I, the only thing I can come up with is idleness is risky business. I know that they say, you know, idle, uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Like, I think there is definitely some truth to that. When you don't know what to do, Satan and his minions are all all too eager to whisper ideas in your ear that are just bad. Like idleness is not a good place to be. So, so I reference verse 13, but Ezekiel 16, 49, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. Like that was so, so in some areas, like in counseling, they talk about the symptoms that someone has, but what are the underlying problems? The underlying problems in Sodom are not, were, were not the outward manifestation of their sin. That was an abomination to the Lord. The problem was pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. That was the problem that led people to make decisions that these actions were okay. That's different. Like, be very careful with an abundance of idleness. Now, hey, it's a vacation season. I think the, the 
where'd you guys go, Tom? Uh, to Virginia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. You know, probably got away. Maybe sat in a. Did you sit in a rocking chair, read a book, or sit on a front porch <laughs> or something? Did, yeah. Like you were idle, right? But not like there's times of rest where you need to like take your brain out and set it on the table for for a little bit. Like I get that. That's not what we're talking about here. Like you shouldn't feel like you're always revving at a high RPM. There's times that you need to rest, but an abundance of idleness creates thoughts that start really going far afield from the Lord. I don't know how else to put it. And then the Lord still delights in the sacrifice. And this is the part I wanted to end with. And maybe even though it wasn't, you know, it is what it is. In Mark 12, 42, 43, and there came a certain poor widow. Like, I know we kind of think about that. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. What did she do? She was still giving. And arguably she was sacrificially giving more than anyone else could. Right? She gave more of her sustenance. Her trust was in the Lord than they were. They were giving out of their abundance. And notice in, in 2 Corinthians 8 too, how then in the great trial of affliction, and you can't tell me back in those days losing your husband wasn't an affliction. Like that was, it's, it's hard today, I'm sure. But back then, like, tough stuff. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. And I realize that reference is not specifically talking to a group of widows, but it is a principle that even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of difficult times, you have to be faithful. God is not, I guess I'll use the word obligated, to bless you if you're just outside, if you're being idle, if you're not working, if you're not doing those things. Like, he loves to bless people that follow his structure, that follow his path, uh, his path. So it brings us to our discipleship decision for the day. Will you choose faithfulness no matter what? Choose faithfulness before the storm comes. Because there is that old adage, right? You're either going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. Like, that's the definite, like, the, the things happen in our lives. You're in one of those three camps. You just came out of one. You're heading into one, or you're in the middle of one. But will you be faithful no matter what? When things are fairly good and you have excess, then maybe you can invest, and I don't mean just in your 401k, I mean in people's lives when you have time. Right? When you have energy, when you have when you have a gap in your calendar, choose to minister, right? Choose not to just heap to yourself. Or maybe you're in the midst of the tragedy. Like, you've just lost your husband of X number of years. Like, you have the opportunity at that point to choose faithfulness. Or maybe you're a young, you know, widow. You've, you've gone through some tragedy. But the Lord's there to say, hey, you can remarry. You can rebuild your life. It's not over. Don't just live for pleasure. Don't just live for now. Live for the long game. Will you be faithful? Will you choose faithfulness no matter what? We're all in one of those phases of life. And we have the opportunity to be faithful 
and to invest both in our in our in our own situations but in each other's lives and ultimately unto the Lord. The poor widow threw in just those two mites, but it was a huge testimony. So so don't 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 t- don't throw the yourself a pity party. You don't get that opportunity in the Lord. He's brought you. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He can bring you through what you're going through now as well. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for loving us. We thank you for your ministry, the ministry of the word. Thank you for Paul's ministry to to Timothy that was so very clear in administration. I mean, of course, it makes sense, Lord, that that the church shouldn't be taxed with taking care of people that are unfaithful or maybe even younger and have the opportunity to recover in time. But there are principles that we can learn through and apply to our lives, whether it's uh, a difficulty of a disease or the difficulty of a job loss or difficulty of our situation, just a personal situation, loss of a loved one, whatever it is, Lord, you've challenged us. You've said, hey, you have the opportunity to be faithful. And Lord, we want to be faithful. We're, we're all going to fail. We're all going to fail in different ways. But Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to choose, faith, choose faithfulness even this morning. We love you and thank you for uh, the ongoing ministry of the Word and the, and the Holy Spirit. And we just ask that you uh, just take these things, burn them into our hearts, bring them to our remembrance this week, even as we're facing challenges or ministering to others who are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.